you guys here. <clears throat> hey, inside your uh, program is an outline to follow along today. Uh, as, as Eric said, we, we start a new series um, starting today called the 30-Day Church Challenge. And so over the next uh, 30 days, we're going to be challenging you uh, not only in a devotional sense, which is also in your, in your program, uh, but also in the messages. And then in the next four weeks, uh, there'll be a challenge for each of us to step up and to uh, become all that God desires for us to be. All right, as we start off the new year, you ready to raise your spiritual bar in your life? All right, so some of you just want to coast still. <laughs> you just want to coast, so we want to challenge you. Hey, um, so pull out your program, and as we, we begin to talk a little bit about, let me just kind of share uh, my, my heart, where I'm at in, in my life and, and uh, as a church and so forth. Um, when I read the book of Acts, which is the birth of the New Testament church, um, you find some amazing things that take place in, in the New Testament church. Um, when you think about how the world has been transformed from really a small group of people and how, you know, a couple thousand years later, uh, there's these New Testament bodies of believers like us today that are meeting all over the world. And it really started because of a handful of people who had uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in their life and was making an impact into their community, into their families, and into their life. And so Pastor Dan's dream, right, as I kind of have a, you know, a dream or a desire in my heart to see this church, and I think God's doing some great stuff in it, to make a huge impact in our families, in our community, uh, for the kingdom of God. We would love to see lives transformed. We would like to see our community transformed uh, for God's glory and for God's praise. And so in my mind, as I think through it, I think just how great it would be to see on a Sunday morning some guests come in, perhaps for the first time they come in. Maybe they're far from God. Maybe they've been uh, doing their own life. They're kind of AWOL in their spiritual life. They come in. They hear the good news. They see the friendliest church in the world, right? All right. Play along with me, folks, all right? Um, and, and they're invited, they're encouraged, they're, they're challenged, they're loved, right? And, and you see them come in to be a part of the, the body of believers. You see perhaps some folks who walked with Christ for a long time, but they really never have taken that next spiritual step in their life, and they desire, desire to get in and begin to mentor and love and encourage new believers and, and come alongside of the folks and, and to, to strengthen and to help. And we just see that kind of the, the church just begin to swell as it, as it makes a difference. That's Pastor Dan's dream, to see folks come to know Christ, grow to maturity, and then begin to produce fruit in their life. And so the series that we're going through is really a challenge to you. It's a challenge to say, hey, you know, let, let's step it up. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. And, and let's raise the bar in our life, all right? And so today I want to talk about to you about connecting in community. We talked about that last week a little bit as we talked about community groups and the importance of community groups. And I want to share with you today what a community group is, what we do in a community group, but more importantly as we get in toward the, the tail end of the message, the reason why we have what I'm going to call the word togetherness and then the incredible impact that we find in Scripture when we are in community. So if you'll pull out your, your program and you'll find an outline and let's just kind of look through it and we'll work our way through it. So you ready? All right. 
So the first one is, number one, is what is a community group? And, and I say that because there are some folks who just aren't really sure exactly what a community group. So a community group in our church's life can be, you know, three people to 20 people. There's some groups that have 20 and, you know, you need to start some new groups out of your group. And so, but it's, you know, it's a group of people who have a common heart, Jesus Christ, right? We're going to look at that today. And, and they're there to, to, to just be together, encourage each other, and to, to grow. So it's nothing fancy. It isn't anything, uh, anything different. It's just a handful of people who gather and uh, support each other. So let's take a look at where that comes from in our life. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following, that is the birth of the New Testament church. As I've, I've said this before, in verse 42 is the purest version of the New Testament church. There's not a bunch of man-made ideas. There's not a bunch of denominational stuff. This is the purest version. Chapter 2 of Acts, the birth of the New Testament church. The day of Pentecost be, uh, comes. And so in Acts 2, uh, 42, it describes what the church is doing. And so let's just kind of read through that real quick, and then we're going to run through this all follow along fast. So it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and wonders and, and, uh, and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, verse 44. And all the believers were, what's the word? Together, right? They were all together. They had everything in common, right? So, and I'm going to use the word togetherness in, in a few moments. Uh, verse 45, selling their possessions and goods, they gave uh, to everyone as he had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now that would mean large group worship, right? So each day uh, they would go to where the Jewish people worship. Remember, that's kind of a, a whole funny other thing. But, but they were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah has already come and they're still worshiping, waiting for the Messiah. The New Testament Christ followers, or they, they would be called the way, they would go to, their, to the temple and they would worship Christ. And so they would gather in a large group acti- uh, worship service. And then it goes on uh, and the verse goes and they broke, broke bread in their homes and they ate together. And so there was a picture of a large group and then there's a picture of small group. And we know that a short time later, 3,000 were saved in one day. So they had a large group of people that would meet in the temple to worship, but then they would break up into homes and they would meet, meet and minister to each other and share each other's lives, right, in a, in a small group setting. So we have large group, we have small group. You following along? Uh, with glad and sincere hearts, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of, what's the word? All, uh, uh, all the people. Now, was the New Testament church loved at that time? No. No, they were thought of being kind of kooky. They were thought of being perhaps a cult. At first, there was a time where they thought they were actually Jews still, right? Short time later, the, the apostles started getting arrested, and they were told, if you speak of Jesus, you're going to go back to prison, right? So it wasn't like a cool thing to be a part of Christ followers. Yet, their attitude toward each other, right? Their love for each other, the togetherness that they that they would share with each other, they found favor with the community. Now, not the government, but the people who were living, the average people like us, would watch the way that the, the, the way 
the church functioned and it drew favor with them. They liked that. They liked that togetherness uh, that they had. And it goes on and it says, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were going to be saved. All right. So when we talk about large group, you guys are doing good. Here we are. But then we talk about a section of the larger group, it's, a, it's part of the, a group of people who come on Sunday morning here. They break into small groups during the week, whether it be Sunday or whatever the day of the week it is. All right. So you see in your outline, the word ecclesia, the word church, doesn't exist in the New Testament Greek. All right. And so oftentimes we think of church as a building. Right? I'm going to church, meaning that you're going to come to this building to go to church. But in the Greek, it actually is the word ecclesia. And, and it means this, an assembly or a gathering, all right? So they were committed to a gathering, large group and small group at the same time. You see the word devoted underneath, and that's uh, from verse 42. De- devoted means to be earnest toward, to persevere, to be consistent, dil- to consi- consistency, consistently diligent, or to attend tirelessly all the exercises, right? And so there was a commitment that they had for each other and for the Lord together. Now, here, here's why I want to point out the difference between uh, the word church that we use in the New Testament and the word ecclesia. If you are committed to the church, typically what that means is you're committed to the building, right? And maybe you've been in a church where somebody wanted to do something to the building and everyone freaked out, right? You can't do that. I mean, this is the church building, right? And they freaked out, right? And so what happens is when you're committed to the building, there's no sense of, there, there, there's no sense of commitment to the body, right? This building is just a, a cool building to use for the gathering of the ecclesia, Right? We're not married to this building. There's nothing special. It's steel. It's, it's sheetrock. It's carpet, right? That's, that's all it is. It's four walls, a, a, a roof, and a floor. That's all it is, right? But when you're committed to the body of Christ, then there's a sense of ownership. There's a sense of investment. There's a sense of, of being a part of the life of that, right? They were a part of the life of the ecclesia. It wasn't a place that they would just go, but it was a place that they were inviting their friends. It was a place that was inviting. It was a place that w- there was life, there was excitement, and the body was built up in it, okay? All right, so what is a community group? A small group of people. It's a cross-section of our, commu- of our church, the larger sense that meet together on a weekly basis. So what do they do? Number two, what do they do in a community group? Look in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five verse eleven, and this is a, this is really for all of us uh, 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 who are believers. Here's what it says: Therefore, encourage one, uh, one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now look underneath there, and we get the definitions of a couple words. The word encourage means to call near, to invite, or to invoke. Right. So as believers. We're challenged, we are commanded to call near, to, to invite, to invoke in the life of other people. And he goes on, he says, therefore, encourage one another. And then it goes on, it says, and to build each other up. And underneath there is the definition of what it means to build up. And it means, it, it, it's the definition of a house builder, construction, right, or to confirm in their life. All right, so let's just kind of get our mind around this. 
so we could see the, see the vision of what God has for the New Testament church. You cannot build something unless you're willing to get your hands dirty. Would you agree with that? Unless you're God in Genesis and you spoke it into existence, you can't, right? You have to get your hands dirty and you have to build something. You have to construct something. You have to be active in the body. So we're called to invite. We're called to invoke. We're called to call near to do what? To get our hands dirty and if you can just kind of visualize it, to to spend our, our, our life involved in the life of the body to encourage to build up to instruct all right so so there isn't like this kind of well i'm just going to sit and soak and then go home that's not how the new testament church in scripture works right and so when we transfer when we we transition out of i'm committed to the church building and we transition into i'm committed to the ecclesia the body in order to be active and involved in the body, you have to be spending your life getting involved in it. Are we following? Right? You can't sit back and you can't just kind of walk. So in a community group, there are three things that we desire to see happen. The first one in your outline is that you grow together spiritually. Right? There's the studying of the Word of God. There's the prayer. There's the, those kinds of things that take place. And there's a spiritual growth. We'll deal with this a little bit more next week. The second one is there's care for each other. All right? The first level of care in this ecclesia is through the community groups. All right? That is the first level of care. There are things that happen in church life, folks, that I don't know about for a month or two later. Right? And so the first level of care is taking place in the community group. That group, that little group of folks that gather together, they care for each other, they minister to to each other. There may be seasons in a person's life where they're going through a difficult relationship, finances, whatever the case may be, but that community group is there to care for them. Are we tracking so far? And then the last one is, number three, is we are to serve with each other. Okay, We are to serve with each other in the group, in the community group. Now, let me just say this, and we'll jump on to Psalms 133. One of the things that studies have shown in church life is there's nothing that creates what's called koinonia or partnership, right? There's nothing that creates koinonia stronger and better than doing service together, all right? This, this is why if you've ever done a service project or you've ever done a mission project, you go away to a place or you go to do some type of, of, of service project, there is an instant bond that begins to take place, right? And, and there's a sense of togetherness, there's a sense of unity, there's a sense of just kind of connecting with each other. And here's, here's what happens oftentimes in church life. They don't recognize that it's the service that drew them together. They think it's the Bible part of it. And so then they go into another Bible study, and they sit in a Bible study, and they sit in a circle, and they all talk about all the things that they know about the Scripture, and all that stuff's good. And then they scratch their head, and they go, but this group isn't as close as that group that I went on that mission trip with, or I went on this you know, particular outing, and so forth. And what happens is, what, what studies have shown 
is that service ties us together in a deeper way than just Bible study alone, right? And so when we say about community groups, we want to see grow, we want to see care, and we want to see service together. And so oftentimes in our community groups, there'll be service projects that we'll, we'll throw out there and, and make, you know, have the group sign up to do a part of a service group because we recognize that that's what really kind of stitches them together in life. All right, so what is a community group? Small section of the larger group. What do they do? They, they're there to encourage each other, to invest in each other, to grow spiritually, to care for each other, and to serve with each other. All right, we all good? All right, let's move on. Number three is the reason, and I'm going to transition the word to make it for our togetherness. So if you have your Bibles, Psalms 133, and we're going to have a little fun today with this, with this verse. All right. What is the reason that we're called to come together? All right, what is the reason? Look with me in your outline. The definition of togetherness means a warm fellowship as among members of a family, right? That, that's what it is to, to have. When you look at Acts chapter 2, that everything in common, they were together. There was a sense of togetherness. There was a warm fellowship, and, it, and they functioned as a family, in fact, oftentimes in the New Testament, we see that the church is called a family, right? And that's where we get the brothers and sisters, right? Old school, some of you have been around for a while. You would refer to people in your church as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, right? It, it functioned as a family. And so let's take a look, letter A in your outline. And we're going to read through the Psalms 133 here in a moment, so just skip through that. <clears throat> letter A is that we share a common father. Okay, we share a common father. And again, my prayer is for us today that we would catch the vision of what the scripture teaches about togetherness and we see the importance not just of large group worship, but small group community groups. All right? And so what we, what we have in common is that we share the same Father, verse 30, uh, uh, verse 1 says this, how good and pleasant it is when, what's the word? Live together in unity, all right? So David, as he writes this Psalms 133, we don't know what he's going through. We're not sure what season in his life uh, that he's going through, except we understand this, that somewhere in his past, he had had togetherness. And as a result of it, he says it's good and it's pleasant when brothers come together in unity. And what brings us together in a sense of togetherness as a believers in Jesus Christ is that we have one father, right? And that's what is common. If you have siblings, the one thing that your siblings have in common is they have a common parent, right? And so in our case, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a common father. We have been born into the family of God. In church life, we call the word being born again, and the world all cringes at that, and it just simply means that we're born into the spiritual family of God. People will say, well, we're all children of God. Folks, that is not the case. We are all creations of God, and when we invite Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family, and we become children of God. Right, And so an unbeliever is a creation of God, but not a child of God. 
Are we following so far? And so, so we, are, we are all born of the womb of grace. Would you agree with that? That's where we all come from. If, you, if, if you've invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you, you, have been, you have been born of the womb of grace in your life. All right. So letter A is the one thing that we have in common, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is we have a common father. Letter B is that we share a common body. All right. We share a common body. Verse 2. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar, or some of your translations may say the hem of his robe. All right? So now now we're going to kind of come back because we're going to get into type here in in just a second. All right? So the reason for our togetherness is we have one Father and we are one body of believers. All right, we are one body of believers. That is what we have in common. We are born into the family of God, and as a result of it, we have one body of believers. All right. So Aaron, it says in in, in verse two, it says Aaron's beard. Who is Aaron? Aaron is a high priest. All right. And so in the Old Testament, how many of you have heard of the word type in Scripture? Just out of curiosity. Come on, raise your hand. I was just kind of see where we're at. Okay, so, so a couple. So he, here, here's what type is. A type is something that happens in the Old Testament that is a picture or a prophecy of something that's going to happen in the New Testament. Are we following? So for instance, Noah's Ark is a type of Christ. Okay? Those who ran into the ark were, those who ran into the ark were saved, right? Those who, who run into Christ are saved, right? So it's an Old Testament event that takes place. And by the way, when I say type, it doesn't mean that it was fictional. It actually took place. But it was a prophecy of what was to come in the New Testament. So Aaron was a high priest. A high priest would, would lay sacrifices for the, the children of Israel for the forgiveness of sin, right? Jesus was going to come and forgive us for the sins, right? And so Aaron here is a type of Christ. He is a picture of the, the, the head and the body of Christ, all right? Now the oil, and this is, goes all through Old Testament times as well, the oil was a type of the Holy Spirit. All right, and there's a bunch of verses in there. I could give them to you if you want to them at some point. Uh, give you those, those verses. And it's, so it is a type of the Holy Spirit, right? And so when we have verse 2, we see the body of Christ and we see the presence of the Holy Spirit in there. All right, are we tracking so far? All right. <clears throat> so as the oil runs down the head of Christ, it runs down the body of Christ as well. And it is a picture or a type that in the New Testament, those who are followers of Jesus are going to be part of one body. Right? Now let me give you a verse in the New Testament that kind of helps you to understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this, The body is a unit, <clears throat> though it is made up of many parts, and though all the parts are many, they form how many bodies? One body, singular, right? 
So it is with Christ, verse 13. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, right? Are we tracking so far? Whether Greek or Jew, meaning no matter what your ethnicity is, if you're a part of the believers of Jesus Christ, there isn't races of people, there is people who are simply a part of the body. All right? So the body is going to be diverse. It's going to be different. It's going to look different. Right? It's not going to be kind of monolithic. It's going to be different in, in, it, in its color, uh, colors, whether Jew or whether Greek, whether slave or free, regardless of your social standing. You could be wealthy or you could be, you could be poor. It doesn't matter. That's not what brings us together. We're not, uni- we're not unified based on our race and we're not unified based on our social settings in life. We're unified because we are all part of the body of Jesus Christ. Are we tracking okay? All right? Are we tracking okay? <clears throat> and we are all given one spirit to drink. One Holy Spirit. Right? So although the body is different in its parts, we make up one body. Right? We have one body and it makes up many different parts. We are not called to uniformity. Uniformity means, if you, you know, like a machine shop or a, or a shop that makes some type of widget. You know, they have a press that keeps pressing, and as the press runs through the metal, it creates a little square box or whatever it is, right? That's uniformity. It's pressing everything into the exact same thing time and time again. As the body of Christ, we are not called to do that. We are called to unity. Unity is different. Unity doesn't come from force of the outside. It comes from something from the inside. Right? And so we're called to be one because we have a common father, because we are a common body of believers, and we come under the head of Christ. Are we tracking so far? Right? So, so even though we may have many different gifts and, and, and abilities and interests, we still come together as a group under one, the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. <clears throat> it says, just as uh, each of us uh, has one body with many members, meaning parts, and, all, uh, and those members uh, do not all have the same function. Verse 5. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Now pay attention to the next part of the verse. And each member belongs to all the others. Translation. You cannot be solo in your spiritual journey. You can't. Folks, listen. The only way the world sees the living Christ is when the body of believers with many parts function in unity as one. That's it. No Lone Ranger Christians, right? And you've heard me say this before. You know, people say, oh, you know, I I, I go on on the boat and I worship the Lord. That's great. I call that a devotion. It's not worship. Because there's something that takes place in the corporate body of believers. There's something that takes place in the community of a small handful of believers that only God does in those environments. Can God speak to you in a boat when you're fishing? Absolutely he can. But there's something that's different that takes place in a corporate 
setting, right? And see, if we're invested in the building, then there's no ownership to the body, right? We're just worried about whether the, faint, the, the paint is fading and what the carpet looks like because we're dedicated to the building. We're not concerned about the body of believers, right? And so if you kind of want to know, you know, is, is church to me a building or is it a family? It's, it's simple. If you're more concerned about whether there's a soil on the carpet or whether the faints paid, uh, uh, faded or if there's a nick in the wall, <laughs> you're committed to the building. Church to you isn't a family. It's not a body. It's not a body, right? And we're, we're to make it a body because each of us belong to each other. Verse 6 goes on and says, for we, uh, there are different gifts, and I'm not going to read it all. So you have the gift of, uh, by the grace given, if you have the grift, uh, gift of prophecy, let them prophesy, serve, let them serve, teach, teach, encourage, encourage, co- uh, contribute, give generously. If it's leadership, lead diligently, right? So we have different, different gifts because we're all part of the body and each of us function perhaps in a little bit of a different way, okay? But in order for the invisible Christ to be seen in the world, Christ is seen through the body of believers coming together. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? All right. Letter C. We share a common blessing. Well, we're going to get into some types here. So, Verse 2 goes back and it says, And it is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon his collar. As I said, some translations will say uh, him of his, of his robe. All right. So again, Aaron is a picture of the head of Christ. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit or a type of the Holy Spirit. It's dumped on the head. And as a result of it, David writes that the oil is poured on him in a generous way. And as a result, it runs down his whole body. Ultimately, when we see the collar, we're thinking of the collar around our neck. It actually is the hem at the bottom of his robe. So it literally runs down the whole body of Aaron. And again, it is a type of the head of Christ and the body of Christ. So if you look with me in your outline, the anointing of the oil is a symbol of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, right? Aaron is a type of Christ, right? Aaron is a type of Christ. And so you see underneath it, it, it says, and when the head is anointed, the body was anointed. And when the anointing was on Jesus, it was on his body, the church. Are we following? Right? It was on the body, his church. Um, the head of Christ, and there's a couple words if you're reading your bulletin, it's, it, you need to change it. it. I change it on the slide here. The head of Christ was anointed so that we would have the mind of Christ, so the body of believers, that Jesus, the, the head of Aaron was anointed. It was a picture of Christ. Christ's head was anointed as the body. We are to have the mind of Christ. All right? And we'll keep going. Uh, and the heart, as it ran down the heart, the heart was anointed, and so we are to have the emotions of Christ or the love of Christ in us. We okay? And the collar or the hem of the robe was anointed, and we are to have the will of Christ in us. Right? 
So as a body, when the head of Jesus was anointed, so we are one with Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are anointed. We are to have the head of Christ, the, the, the mind of Christ, the emotions or the love of Christ, and we are to have the will of Christ in our life. Well, why? Because we all share the same spirit, one spirit, one body. We have been placed in the body of Christ. And so togetherness begins to grow out of a common father, a common body, and a common blessing if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Are we following so far? And then he goes on in in verse 1, and David says how good and pleasant it is. Right? Now let me just kind of say this as a side note. The oil in which the Old Testament, it's Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 30, if you want to know the formula. The oil was, there was a formula for the anointing oil in the Old Testament. And it wasn't just like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It was very calculated and weighed and measured and all that kind of stuff. It had to fit the exact uh, description that God desires for it. And it was, part of it was, was, was some myrrh. Part of it was some cinnamon as well. And so it would emanate out of a person's life, right? So you could imagine as the, as the uh, chief uh, priest or the head, head uh, priest would walk in, there would be a sense of an aroma that would take place. And, and the scripture says it was pleasing and it was good. It was good. And remember, David is a connecting this to the sense of unity, the togetherness of the body, right? And when a body is unified, there is a sense that it's inviting, it's pleasing, it's alive, it's making an impact in the world, it's making an impact in the group of people, right? And if you've ever been a part of a body of believers, and I think we are, so I'm I'm not saying that, you know, boy, I wish we could, but if you're ever a part of a group of believers that is unified, it's alive, there's life in it. It's exciting. There's a sense, and it's not a real smell, but there's a sense of a smell that's like, man, I dig it here. This is good stuff, right? If you've ever been a part of a dead body of believers, you walk in and you wonder what died because there's a smell that's kind of like, Where, where's the corpse at? Because, you know, I don't know what they're worshiping, but it's not the risen Lord, right? And, and it's cold. It, it's, it's, it's dead. It's decay. Right, And so as we just get the visual of it, when, when the priest would walk in and there would be this sense of aroma, it was inviting. And he says it's good and it's pleasant amongst the people. I mean, the people smell it and they're like, man, this is, this is amazing what, what God is doing in and through the group. Number four. The fourth part in something that we miss is this. The life change of togetherness. Okay, The life change of of togetherness. In verse 3, and remember, David is writing that togetherness, right, is like the head of Aaron being, being anointed, and now he's going to use the definition that it's like the dew from Mount Hermon, all right? So he says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were, was falling on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion would be about 100 miles away from Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the highest mountain range. In fact, it's Believe it or not, there's, ski, there's a ski resort uh, there. there it's snow, it'll snow there and all that kind of stuff. And it says, for, there, uh, for where the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore, right? Now let, let's just kind of get the picture of what he's saying. 
So he talks about the head being anointed, the body being anointed. That's what it's like to have togetherness. Then he transitions down and he says, togetherness is like the dew from Mount Hermon that is experienced or felt 100 miles away in Mount Zion. Mount Hermon would be lush and green. And the reason why is because in that climate area, they would have dew on a regular basis. Not like we have in California, where you walk out in the spring or in the fall and your grass is a little wet and your windshield's a little wet. It would be so thick that it felt like rain. And it would be so thick that it would, it would, it would saturate the ground. It would be that heavy, right? And, and he says, and Mount Zion was like a desert. And he said, so the dew is like a rainstorm in a dry land, right? Where it's just, it's dry, it's desolate, it's dead. Unity is like dew coming into dry land. Now, if you look with me in your outline, the type of farming that they would do in that land during this time is called dry farming, okay? They didn't have irrigation. They didn't have pumps. They didn't have pipes. So if you were a farmer, you would farm dry farming, meaning the only way that water would come to your crops is that it would be placed there naturally. So all the farmers would rely on the dew from Mount Hermon to grow their crops. And so for them, life, freshness, came from the dew, right? The unity, it would come into their land and it would grow their crops to be able to provide for their families and be able to provide for them. And David writes and he says, togetherness is like dew coming to the farmers that produces a sense of freshness, that produces a sense of fruitfulness in their life. All right, look with me on the last part. It brings freshness and uh, fruitfulness, not only to you personally, but to your family and community. Folks, listen. Togetherness, large group, small group. Brings freshness and fruitfulness, David says, into your life. It's like the dew that's providing the rain or the moisture for the farmers growing their crops. That's what togetherness feels like. See, we don't oftentimes think of that. We we don't think that fruitfulness and freshness in our spiritual life is connected to a small group. We think of it maybe perhaps in a large group activity, but not in a small group. And, And we're missing a component of that in our life. And it not only affects your personal life, but it, you know for a fact it affects your, your family life. It, aff- it affects your coworkers, your neighbors. When you are spiritually fresh and fruitful in your walk. And David says as he paints this amazing picture. He says it just, it just breathes in life in you. And my prayer is this. My prayer is this. That, w- that we would see the importance of what it is to be in community. It's great to have large group worship. We should do that. 
but we also need to be part of a small group where we grow, where we care, where we serve with each other. And we need not to discount it and kind of go, oh, no, you know, I, I don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we, that we follow what Scripture has to teach as it sets the model out for us. And so here, here's my challenge to you guys. This is challenge for day one of 30-day challenge. Is one, commit to come back for the next four weeks, right? But two, more importantly, is to really pray about being a part of a community group. Last week I said we needed to start 25 new groups. And really pray about it. Pray about leading, perhaps. Pray about being a part of one. And inside your program, there's a devotional. It's not a long devotional, but it's just going to help reinforce today's message and what we talked about. And so through the week, it's a Monday through Friday. I'm so nice, I give you Saturday off. Right? Isn't that nice of me? But it just helps you to reinforce uh, what we've talked about today in a group, all right? And so uh, on the way out, after we take the offering, there's a table by the women's restroom that has the community group sign-ups. And I really want to encourage you guys to sign up to be a part of the groups. There'll be sign-ups probably for the next couple weeks, but remember, we start next Sunday starts the new quarter. And so we want you to be a part of that on uh, the 24th of, of January, okay? And that goes through April 10th. And so sign up for that quarter. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your love. 